This is the European edition of Breaking Banks, the world's number one fintech podcast and radio show. We bring you the European unicorns, startups, founders, regulators and leaders innovating the rapidly evolving fintech scene today. A truly localized podcast with both English and local language content with some of the world's most well-known hosts and influencers in the fintech sector globally. Join us every week as we explore what makes the European Union a phenomenal proving ground for many of the fastest growing fintech plays in the world today. Okay, let's roll. Hey guys, welcome back to Breaking Banks Europe. This is Breaking Payments. I'm Matteo Rizzi, the executive producer of the show. This is a PPRO show uh, belonging to the Breaking Banks family, and I'm here with uh, Jean Mies, the uh, general manager Americas for PPRO. Jean, very welcome to Breaking Payments. Thank you, Matteo. It's a pleasure to be here. So, uh, you know, the, first of all, we could do this show in at least four known languages because uh, you are a human with a huge experience. You're speaking my favorite recently language, which is Portuguese, but we want, you know, I, I won't dare, you know, to do this in anything else than English. Why don't you share with us a little bit of your experience? I already told you a polyglot. Great. Of course, let me do this. So, um, yes, so I do have a culturally diverse background. I was born and raised in Brazil, but I have uh, European roots, and this is why I speak a few few languages, including German, Spanish, Portuguese, uh, well, and English, of course. Um, So I've been in the payments industry for quite a while, uh, which tells a little bit about my age, I guess. Uh, So I've seen a lot of things moving over time. But um, around about 20 years of experience in the payments industry, starting with um, more traditional side of things uh, on the financial services side with Western Union, and then working for quite a long time, 10 years with uh, Adyen, one of the big innovators of the payments industry. And now with uh, with PPRO heading up um, the Americas for about a year and a half. So yeah, that's that's a long story. Yeah, I, I can I can certainly see what the people found attractive in your in your profile. Beside the fact that you know bold people like us have a certain gravitas, you know. So, but I am pretty sure that uh, uh, whatever you have seen uh, in the past uh, in the past two decades is an experience, uh, you know, extremely um, remarkable. So you're just back from Money 2020 in Vegas, right? I saw. It was bustling. I saw like a, a lot of pictures, including of like the PPRO team there. What happened? You know, what did you come back with? Yes, I have to say it was a simply incredible event. Um, more than 10,000 people attending the event, uh, you know, over those uh, days that we spent there. I have to say it was really great to be among people again after years of uh, reclusion, but it's good to be, it was really good to be on the ground again. And uh, it was also interesting to see some of the discussions that that were happening there. Obviously, uh, a lot of heavyweight uh, keynote speakers, including Serena Williams. uh, Yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Which was really great. Um, And and some of some topics that um, that really stuck out from my perspective, right? Um, 
it was good to to see discussions going on about uh, trends in uh, in terms of embedded finance. I think that this is a topic that you see that you hear a lot these days in the industry overall. But you see that the whole industry is shifting in a direction that is very interesting, where companies, payment companies specifically, are focusing more and more on you know financial services, embedded services to their clients and to consumers. So this was a big topic there. Um, of course, also a lot of discussions around the overall state of the market with, uh, you know, investments, um, you know, following maybe a, a different pattern than in the past, whereas in the past, you know, companies were looking for funding to um, uh, to grow um, faster. Now, nowadays, you see that funding is, is closely tied to the, you know, path to profitability, companies being yeah. able to generate profits rather than only growing. So yeah. this was also a dominant topic there. And then, of course, crypto, Web3, uh, all over the place. Uh, very interesting from a you know long-term perspective and trend perspective. Uh, a lot of discussions around that as well. This is actually, you know, a great transition into something I really want to, you know, it, there is not a lot of opportunity to talk with someone who has... Uh, such a huge experience, uh, you know, from indeed you named, you know, Western Union and Western Union at the beginning, you know, they were at the, like the, the prehistory of cross-border payments. Like it was almost the bad guy, you know, for uh, everybody, you know, the expensive guy, the 5%, uh, the like uh, the very difficult to be financially included uh, when you spend, when it's so expensive to send a few dollars. Up to a place where actually, you know, and we talked with, at the PIPRO event that here we're talking about micropayments that can potentially be profitable, right? So this, uh, it is almost a span, 20 years from super expensive, even for big payments, up to not expensive at all, even for micropayments, you know, give us like 20 years in two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> that is going to be a challenge, but uh, but you're right. I think that over those twenty years and and working in in uh, such specific areas of um, of the financial industry um, was really interesting because, as you said, uh, Western Union was uh, is a company that is really traditional. It it has more than one hundred fifty years of existence, and they started way back in the days, uh, you know, with carriages, uh, you know, sending over parcels over across the, the United States, and then eventually started going into the business of uh, wire transfers and things like that. And then they started focusing more and more on cross-border, right? Uh, but you're right. Uh, uh, um, the way how it used to be is completely different from what it is today. So it was it used to be extremely expensive and 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 very complicated to do wire transfers, and only a couple of companies were really specialized in doing that, including a company like Western Union. These days, uh, the scenario has changed completely, right? So electronic payments are are omnipresent. Um, among broad segments of the global population, right? And, and we're also going to talk about a little bit about um, some of the emerging markets. But uh, today, um, the access to electronic payments is much, much bigger than it used to be 20 years ago, right? Um, 
but also e-commerce as a whole has grown uh, at such a strong rate that nowadays uh, people are getting more and more used or actually have uh, gotten more used to buying items, not only in their own countries, but also, you know, buying from vendors that are uh, 10,000 miles away in, in Asia or or in Europe or in or or in, in, in the US, right? So the cross-border commerce has grown significantly over the last year. So in in uh, in 2020, uh, pre-pandemic, uh, even it has grown over 20%. And this uh, growth rate has even picked up significantly, like I said, because of the growth of e-commerce, but also because of the growing dominance of electronic payments, making it easier for people to, uh, you know, to, to send money abroad or to pay um, uh, abroad. Actually, you you just you know made me think of something that uh, it's like new to my mind. It's true that you know I worked thirteen years at Swift, and uh, you know the Swift started as you know the high value payments guys, especially cross border. And then I all of a sudden realized that uh, I don't know since how long. You you can tell it better than me, but uh, like a, a couple of decades ago, there were no need right to send uh, I don't know. Uh, hundred dollars, uh, you know, from one remote country to another one because the movements was much less. People, you know, uh, how do you say it? the the even the migration, you know, wasn't that uh, 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 strong. And even in countries where it was strong, the digitization, you know, of the system didn't allow, you know. So it is almost if uh, like the need grew together with. Uh, is that the technology that uh, made the need possible or is the need a call for the technology? Which one of the two? Um, I think that it was, to be honest, a combination of both, right? I think that over the last uh, decades, you see migration patterns. So people moving into other uh, geographies has changed a lot. And that's, that, of course, has also to do with uh, the increase of, um, or let's say the the easier way for people to travel it's been it's become much more affordable to travel around the globe right um and um if if i may use a personal example so uh, a big part of my family was always concentrated here in latin america where where i live for such a long time these days there's no one left here they're all you know living in the in the united states or in europe or even in asia so it's become much more common and i think that technology has um, not only helped to advance that to enable people to uh, to live and work from wherever they want but it has also followed a trend right so technological evolution is all also a consequence of um, of, um, of of uh, patterns in the society migration patterns and so on so it's it, it's a mutual effect i would say so let's try to like make a little bit of a of a parallelism between uh, Europe and Latin America, right? Because yeah. in Europe, of course, you know, since uh, there is a common uh, like SEPA, of course, you know, the SEPA scheme helped a lot to make a cross border look like and cost like uh, a local transaction, right? But you're based in Sao Paulo. Sao Paulo, like uh, Latin America, has a typically a couple of. Uh, like very high speed, uh, almost like uh, leaders in terms of uh, digital transformation. I almost would say that Brazil is uh, 
by far, you know, the place where the most unicorns, where digital bank uh, became more per- uh, pervasive, uh, as far as I know. And I want, I, you know, Mexico maybe as well, but I'm really talking about uh, like uh, Latin America as a uh, as as like the southern part of the continent. And there, there are the challenges that uh, used to be in Europe before, right? So a lot of local currencies, uh, you know, uh, schemes that don't talk to uh, to each other, you know, cross-border payments and not exactly like a super, super smooth. So what are the challenges there? And uh, what is what what is the job that you guys are providing to the ecosystem to overcome them? Yes. So Latin America for ages, for decades, um, as as a conglomerate market has been dominated by cash payments you know cash currency so people would go, would go out uh, to the stores and would you know pick their bills and pay with 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 local currency in cash um but at the same time for the last decade or more e-commerce has grown significantly faster than in other uh, other regions of the world, even faster than uh, in, in many markets in Asia, which is also a fast-growing e-commerce market. And this has um, fundamentally changed the way how people uh, pay here. And if you take into consideration that just recently we had a huge global effect uh, uh, related to COVID-19 that has impacted how people you know, consumed their their uh, services and products, um, and forced people to buying online. Uh, you can imagine that this effect was even magnified in an economy uh, like uh, like Brazil or Mexico, where people relied so heavily on on cash uh, on cash to to buy their their items. Right. So what happened here is that um, you know from the moment that people were not able to to go to stores anymore they needed to find ways to to get their groceries, to get their products, right? So they they were forced to using, um, um, you know, uh, uh, electronic payment methods to to still (laughs) continue existing. To survive, basically. To survive, basically, yes, exactly. And and the effect was uh, incredible from a financial inclusion perspective. So I was just reading a report from the World Bank recently, that said that in in a country like Brazil today, around 80% of the adult population is connected to the financial system, if you will. So they own bank accounts, they own electronic payment methods, which was uh, is completely different from 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 just a couple of years ago when financial inclusion was really a big problem in a con- in a continental country like Brazil, almost right. And um, yeah, and technology made it possible. Today, um, you see a, a, a country like like Brazil or Mexico driving uh, uh, adoption of electronic payments, and also driving from a from a global perspective innovation in this segment. Right. So uh, those countries have, at, up to a certain point, become become references. Uh, in banking services, financial services that um, are targeted, uh, that target the broad segments of the population, right? Uh, so you mentioned the financial inclusion angle, and uh, it is super interesting the fact that uh, until a few years ago, we were 
it, it was a little bit misleading to talk about financial inclusion because we were talking about, uh, you know, banked and underbanked or the unbanked, right? And uh, and the word and the fact that uh, to include someone financially, the word bank was in it uh, was a little bit misleading, right? Because today you could argue that. Uh, Someone with a wallet, you know, is, is, is financially included. He doesn't have a bank account, uh, but he can pay. You know, the M-Pesa guys are absolutely in Kenya. They are financially included. And most of them, they don't have a bank account, right? So, it, and this, uh, this trend, it is uh, specifically relevant uh, for uh, markets like Latin America, where the proliferation of, of mobile wallets, you know, have been super important how the payments uh, you know were had to adapt you know to plug into the system of wallet because typically interoperability mm-hmm. of wallet uh, is a challenge right so if uh, it is not immediate if i have uh, an account with the telco operator or a wallet with one telco operator that i can send straight away money to another telco operator right so how the yes. payment system had to adapt yes I think I think you touched on a very interesting topic, right? Uh, you said that um, not long ago, financial inclusion was equal to banks, right? Banks provided financial inclusion, uh, and this has shifted completely, right? Uh, the reason why this has shifted is because of regulatory uh, measures that have happened in markets like across Europe with PSD and PSD two. Uh, in the 2000s, but also regulatory measures happening uh, in in Latin America, right? In Brazil, Mexico, in many other countries, Colombia, and so on, where uh, local regulators have pushed for not only innovation in the market, so forcing uh, banks that many times dominated those markets. Uh, So for instance, in Brazil, not long ago, only five banks dominated 80% of all the funds uh, in in Brazil, which is incredible, right? So imagine the power that those banks uh, had. And and the regulator, the the Brazilian Central Bank uh, in mid-2000s, 2013, they start pushing uh, the implementation of a regulation very much similar to what you saw happening with the PSD in the early 2000s in Europe. Um, that was geared towards um, strengthening competition through innovation by opening the markets to fintechs, new players, even from outside of of the country. And this has created uh, an enormous effect that uh, not only you saw a lot of very specialized companies uh, coming up all over the world, not only in Latin America, that were providing better services to, to customers than the big banks, but at the same time, it also forced the banks to drive innovation on themselves, either by acquisition or even organically, right? Now, who benefited from that were the consumers. Consumers today have a wide uh, choice of, of institutions that they can use um, to consume financial services that are not necessarily banks, right? And this um, also generated a situation in which um, new payment methods uh, came up that didn't exist before, instant payment methods. In Brazil, uh, you may have heard about PIX, uh, the instant payment method of course. that is really <laughs> growing. Like the like multibanco payment. in Portugal, for the ones yes. who knows Portugal, right? Yeah, exactly. 
So the, the emergence of a payment me method like PIX would have never have been possible if there was a high banking concentration and no or little involvement by regulatory bodies making sure that competitiveness is addressed in the, in the industry. What's the strategy of PIPRO in Latin America? And how much do you do it yourself? How much do yes. you do it through like a, like a partnership or, 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 or third parties? Because, uh, you know, yeah. I think that the collaboration between different players is essential. You know, you can't think of, it is too fragmented. You can't think of having, you know, offices and people and, and the same sort of array of services everywhere, right? Yes, you're right. So um, PIPRO has established itself uh, uh, for years as, a, as an infrastructure provider for the payments industry. So our customers are usually banks, our acquirers, uh, but also payment service providers um, that consume our payments infrastructure that up until now was concentrated around local payment methods. So this is what we really specialized in over the last year. So we build connections to uh, pretty much everything that is not card-based, right? So local payment methods like Ideal in the Netherlands, like SEPA, but also Boleto in Brazil, OXO in Mexico, and things like that. And this is how we... we um, positioned ourselves and really grew in terms of relevance um, uh, in, in the whole payments industry, right? As a payments infrastructure provider to large, um, uh, to the industry, basically. Now, uh, more recently, PIPRO has uh, realized that it also needs to follow the industry trends. And I mentioned a little bit about those trends uh, at the very beginning of our conversation, where you see that um, payment companies, established payment companies, needs their, their, um, uh, they're challenged by a situation in which money is not as easy to find anymore as it was in the past. So companies need to make choices, right? How do we invest the money that we have, the funds that we have, um, and how do we become more effective? The payments industry is evolving very quickly, uh, driven by technology. Um, and, um, and many times uh, payment companies and providers, they have challenges because of uh, technological legacy, dependencies, and so on that, um, that slow them down, right? Now, uh, what I mean by that, what, what we have done uh, recently, we have uh, acquired uh, uh, a state-of-the-art uh, orchestration platform, a service orchestration platform. That... I, know this, I know the word orchestrations, <laughs> thanks to people. So I'm very grateful that now you know well, what you're talking about. <laughs> great. So orchestration is not a new thing in, in our industry. But uh, but it becomes more and more relevant in, in a situation like this, where companies, like I said, need to make choices. Where do we want to invest our resources? What do we want to build versus what do we want to buy from, from partners and, uh, and external providers? And the trend that we're seeing is exactly that one, that companies in the payments industry are realizing we cannot do everything on our, on our own. Right. What specifically? Uh, what specifically is doing Alpha? I'm actually really curious about. Yes, of course, of course. So it's a wider range of of services. So um, uh, you know, spanning from digital payments, which is something that we have done for such a long time. So if you will, orchestrating uh, digital payments 
four large payment companies. Um, but it also includes services like uh, risk management, compliance management, very uh, uh, you know time intensive and technology intensive services that are important for the growth of uh, of the company. Um, spanning over to uh, services like acquiring platform as a service. If if a company that is providing uh, payment services is interested in either uh, modernizing its acquiring infrastructure or to become an acquirer in certain markets where they are not acquirers, we can provide the infrastructure for those companies to do exactly that. And this uh, reduces the cost, but also the time to market, um, and uh, yeah, and and the overall speed uh, for for the companies that work with us. So, and if I understood correctly, Alpha was very strong, right, uh, in, uh, in in Latin America. Am I correct? Did they give you access to like regions and uh, subsidies, subregions, or or countries where people was uh, maybe less present as well? Absolutely. So, so Alpha FinTech, the company that we have uh, acquired uh, in March this year already has a big ecosystem of partners that are integrated to the orchestration platform. And uh, these partners, they're spread all uh, all over the globe. So some of them are specialized on, on Asia, Asia Pacific, others uh, provide solutions that are global. And, and this gives us um, uh, a scale that, that we didn't have before in terms of you know, breadth of solution or scope of solution, but also penetration in many, many different markets. Uh, Jean, I have now a question that uh, probably is in the mind of the less uh, specialist, you know, in terms of uh, of the payment space, because, you know, we have a super broad uh, audience, right? And uh, when I when I see uh, uh, you know now I'm a, like a, a, a lambda auditor okay and uh, and I see that uh, all these uh, new very large global payment companies they are all about uh, like after kind of the same business right so they are in the renting existing rails business or sub rent existing rails. Uh, uh, businesses so that uh, someone who wants to like uh, acquire customers in Colombia doesn't need to go to Colombia but just go to you guys and together with Colombia you can get them 10 more countries that it will take otherwise uh, way longer you know in terms of compliance they would get crazy they don't have the contact they will pay three times the price etc 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 right now what are then the, if everyone is uh, sort of holding these rails and then subrating a piece you know a piece of it to different corporate clients you know it, how do you differentiate you know your and how these big payments companies is that on speed is that of quality of service is that in a one stop shop that you can stack not only the payment rails but also as you mentioned you know the compliance the KYC you know the security the, uh, apologies if the question is a bit vague, but uh, not vague, maybe too generic. But I think that a lot of uh, our auditors uh, are asking themselves this. Yes. Okay. So let me answer by by providing maybe a little bit of of context about um, you know 
what what is it what large technology companies uh, global uh, e-commerce powerhouses are looking for right so what is it let's what do a three minutes a three minutes master class on, on this yes okay so um what what those companies expect and i'm talking about companies like uh, like alibaba like amazon the really big uh, enterprise uh, companies that that need and want to sell to a global audience right so what we see um, what they need right now is they need to find ways to continue growing um, and most of those companies they're being challenged more and more in their home markets so even a company like amazon that is so dominant um is you know seeing more and more competition coming up so what they do is what else where else can we expand usually they do that um looking at international markets so uh, amazon uh, i read recently they are growing uh, domestically at a rate of 40% which is still amazing uh internationally they're growing 60% and this also applies to companies like alibaba and others that are that are global so they're being pushed towards expanding uh, regionally uh, to new customers right now um what what they want when they're working with a company like ppro or any other payment provider they want to not only have instant access to geographies right i want to expand into latin america what can i do how can i do that quickly uh, but also they want to see performance right um and ultimately what what will give those companies peace of mi- mind is if they have choice right now many times they don't have a lot of choice there's only a few companies that offer the wide range of services that they actually need to consume and there's only very very little companies that that have cho- chosen to to position themselves like an infrastructure provider so pick and choose whatever you need whatever region you need whatever service you need you can have it right and this is where we see the big opportunity the big opportunity because like i said not every payments comp- company has the capability to build everything in house full stack fully integrated um and they will have to to focus more on partnerships to close gaps to increase speeds time to market and things like that so this is this is the reality right now and if we provide choice um and uh performance to to our clients as in uh, payment companies banks and so on we will give them the power to also compete with more with technologically more advanced companies and to uh win uh, deals with the global powerhouses <laughs> so that's my my summarized version <laughs> no it's 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 great and you know and since i love that to sort of shift what you're saying in concrete example that people might see every day you know and uh, uh, i think i actually have a good example of of what you were just saying so think of you know if you need to buy shoes today you know you can go to amazon and you know there are nikes and mizunos and uh, and uh, whatever uh, adidas uh, shoes uh, in the amazon right but a lot of you know more and more you get these big brands that are selling online directly especially through social media and then paradoxically speaking when you take the shoes of this uh, of the adidas and you 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 like a uh, you copy paste the reference it is cheaper than amazon but for adidas is a one stop shop so they want to grab the chance to become blowers as well by selling directly 
to customers. But if today I think, you know, I am a, uh, say a French, uh, like a fila, you know, fila that is now Korean, but say when it was still Italian, no? they were selling uh, everywhere. They cannot potentially, you know, become global without the players like you, right? This is correct, yes. And and you correctly also identified a D2C, direct-to-consumer, has been a trend uh, for a few years already. So with their brand, with brands building their own e-commerce um, and um, overthink th- overthinking the relationship they have with distribution channels. Um, but this is a long way, right? Even for a brand like Fila or for Adidas, it takes a long while to build, you know, this connection directly to consumers right um but but you're absolutely right so uh those brands they will need to um to consume the infrastructure from 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 somewhere not all of them uh i i even dare to say that only the minority of them they will uh, will build the entire infrastructure that they need for e-commerce and everything that comes with it on their own they will continue relying on partners like uh, ppro for instance to to do so right so, so yeah, let's let's trend in the industry yeah 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 thank you so let's uh, like use the last couple of minutes to see maybe one or two things that you see coming you know how do you see the market evolving or give us like maybe one trend and one prediction and then we will talk next year and see whether or not you got it uh, you got it right yes of course well, uh, I'm not going to probably share anything revolutionary, <laughs> but... Only things that you can reveal without getting fired. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't worry. No. So, so I think that um, a consistent trend, um, you know, as, as simple as that sounds, is still that technology will drive uh, growth. Uh, for companies, right? Which goes back to exactly what we've been discussing here. So technology is usually a huge investment and a bottleneck for most of the companies. Um, but this will be the, ter- the determining success factor for, for companies moving forward, even more than in the past. So a few years ago, you will remember that data was, was the big thing, right? It still yeah. is, but more and more technology, core technology uh, will become what really differentiates one company from the other, right? And also from a consumer perspective, consumers are uh, adopting more and more technology in their daily lives, you know, starting from smartphones. I mean, smartphones have been around for ages now, uh, but um, they are there to stay. So now uh, more than ever uh, before in, in, in human existence, uh, smartphones determine the lives of people uh, in a day-to-day basis. So this convergence of technology will continue existing towards convenience, security, um, you know, uh, ubiquity, if you will. So people will concentrate on things that they, on on technological uh, gadgets that they use in their day-to-day to do more and more with them, right? Uh, So this is, for me, a big, big trend, for sure, but also the trend um, towards financial inclusion. I think that uh, this is here to stay, and this was driven by this tragic uh, happening that we saw with the the pandemic, but also it's um, allowed 
broad segments of the population globally that never had access to financial services, uh, payment methods, electronic payments, now to finally enter this universe and to adopt it as something that they use on a day-to-day basis. So financial inclusion, uh, you will see spreading more and more into you know more remote areas of developing economies and so on. So it's here to stay for sure. I agree. I actually think that uh, the 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 next battle is going to be who is going to be better at uh, building value on the top of the connection that was established. You know, it's almost like uh, you get a sink. You know, you 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 build the sink because you needed one. That was the pandemic, so everyone needed a sink. And now the yeah. water is coming. But then, what do you do with it? Uh, you know. Can you use it to like for agriculture? You can use it to drink. You can use it to clean. So the value services on the top of it is the is the challenge. And now that you got so many more people uh, people connected, I totally agree with you, Jean. Jean, thank you very much for. Uh, I almost say a thank you like in French because for a millisecond uh, your 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 name sort of betrayed me and my and my Frenchies, the the the, the Frenchie in me. Uh, came out. Thank you so much. That was a super insightful conversation. I learned a lot. I'm sure that our auditors learn it, uh, learn it as well. And uh, thank Pipro, you know, for being, you know, one of our partners in the, in this uh, breaking payments uh, space. And uh, Jean, very grateful. Thank you so much. It was a great pleasure, Mateus. I could go on and on. I know, I know. It feels, it feels this way. Thank you once again very much. And guys, this is a wrap. Thanks for listening to Breaking Banks Europe, a Provoke Media podcast in cooperation with Fintech Stage. Don't forget to tweet us out, shout out, or post to the team at Breaking Banks EU on Twitter. If there's something or someone you'd like to hear on our cast, let us know. See you next week on Breaking Banks Europe.